Good afternoon, church. It's Pastor Carter here on a Monday afternoon. And not only is it the start of this brand new day, but it's also the start of this whole new week, this brand new clean slate that God has given us. We get to witness the opportunities that God has always had in store for us this week. We get to experience the blessings that come from unexpected places, from the God who loves us unconditionally. And we get to see the wholeness and the fullness of his love, which appears all over the place. And if that doesn't get you excited here on a Monday, then I don't know what will. But I think it's worth an amen. Amen? Oh, amen. So if it's right with you guys, I'd like to try something that I have never tried before. And I'd like to take yesterday's scripture the message that we just talked about in, in church yesterday and Sunday morning and take that same scripture passage and break it into a little bit more in depth. Elaborate on it a little bit more. You know what I've been experiencing the last couple of weeks is that I've been bringing a little too many talking points to cover, you know, going over a little too much here and running out of time in service because I'm trying to rest through everything. And, and sometimes I notice that while I'm looking at my watch or watching the clock, that I'm jumping through my points and sometimes I still don't get to where I want to be. So if it's all right, I'm going to try something new today. And who knows, maybe I make this a, a Monday thing where we just, we go a little bit more in depth on that same scripture. So if it's all right with you guys, I'm going to ask that you go and grab your favorite Bible, the one that you are used to put marks in and highlighting, underline, the one you're okay with taking notes. Grab that Bible and go somewhere that you can be comfortable with, somewhere you can relax, open your heart, Open your mind and be receptive to God. You know, when we dive into God's word and we give him a time, we give him a place, God can speak to us in so many indescribable ways. He can put things on our hearts. We can see the same scripture through a different perspective because we're allowing the spirit to come and penetrate our hearts. God moves in incredible ways. So if it's right with you guys, grab the Bible, go somewhere comfortable, and we're going to dive into his word. So today we're in 1 Kings chapter 3. That's what we just talked about yesterday, the, the wisdom of Solomon. And that, that title alone is probably already ringing some bells for you because this is a popular passage. But before we dive into it, I'm going to start with a prayer. So bow your heads with me in prayer. That's all right. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we ask that you bless this time. You bless this place. And Lord, as we read and dive into the scripture passage today, we ask that we can see it through your eyes. Help it come to life so that way we can apply it when we leave this place today. Help it speak to who you are. And Lord, help it speak to who we are. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Solomon, he asked for wisdom here. And this is a super exciting passage. There's a lot of bells you probably are ringing in your head because it is a very popular scripture. Uh, this is one that we get excited about because there's something here that gets us excited. We get to see something happen that never happens anywhere else in the Bible in this passage here. But because it's familiar, oftentimes we like to rush to the part that's exciting. You know, God ends up coming to Solomon and saying, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you ask for, whatever you want, you know, like a genie in a lamp. Solomon, you get one wish, use it wisely. And because that interaction is so special and it never happens again, it's that rare, we like to rush over all the verses up to it, leading up to it. And if we do that, we're missing a whole lot of context. This whole passage is filled with wisdom, is filled with context that makes it even that much more powerful. And instead of rushing to get there, I think we're going to elaborate that on a little bit more. 
So if it's right with you, uh, before we even start, uh, it's important that we know who Solomon is and where he is coming into this point. And, and to know who Solomon is, it's important to know who his father is because that's exactly who he's taking over. King David had just passed away. King David, yep, some more bells are probably ringing right there. Uh, king David, it is that King David, the King David, the big King David in the Bible. You know, the shepherd boy who was anointed with oil by Samuel, who went and fought the Philip, the Philippine, or Philistine, whoops, <laughs> Goliath. And from there, he was propelled into the kingdom as the king. And he led God's people, the Israelites, into so many victories. Everywhere he went, every battle that he fought, it seemed like his economy was rolling. His borders were expanding. He was a great political figure, but he was also a good, good man. He had this big faith that he based everything that he did on. It was his firm foundation of his life. God had used David in so many indescribable ways. And that's exactly who Solomon's father is. So while we look at David through the eyes of a, the Bible reader here, and we think, wow, King David must have been an incredible man. I can only imagine the eyes that Solomon was seeing him through. You know, I've got two indescribable parents. To me, I look up at them, at, they're my role models. They inspire me to be the best version of myself. They put me in position to succeed. Through my eyes, they are so much more than, than through the eyes of anybody else. And that's exactly how I imagine Solomon looking at King David, looking at his father, that when you go away, I want to be the best king that I can be. I want to follow in your footsteps and be the best king that I can be because you have inspired me to be that person. So King David had passed away. Solomon is probably around 20 years old. He's between 18 and 24. Can't pinpoint it exactly, but he's still a young, young man as he's stepping into this massive, massive role as king. And one of the first things that we see here in very, the very first verse, verse 1, is one of the things that he has to do as a king. So Solomon, verse 1, it says, He made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until they finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. I hope you guys have your Bibles here. It'll be a whole lot easier to follow along with me. But Solomon, one of the first things he does is he goes back to Egypt. He talks to Pharaoh and he takes Pharaoh's daughter as his wife. You know, and back then, that's not an uncommon thing to do. If you want to have a good relationship, if you want to tie things up with a neighboring country, a neighboring force there, and you don't want to have conflict anymore, no more wars, you would often intermarry with each other. Not only was that symbolizing the new unity, the new relationship between each other, but it's also a mutual sign of respect. You know, I'm not going to go to war with someone who has my family member, someone who has my daughter. You know, it symbolized that they were going to put things behind them, all the conflicts they had in the past. Solomon didn't want to start off his new reign as king by getting into a war with Egypt. So he says, you know what, Pharaoh, if it's right with you, I'd like to patch things up, mend the fence, and just move forward from here. Leave it all behind us. So they took his daughter, a foreigner, as his wife. And that, while that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, you know, it seems like already we can see that Solomon is trying to be the best king that he can. He's making big moves to put himself and his people, God's people, in a good position here. But by doing it, even with good intentions, he's actually breaking God's law. In Deuteronomy here, we're going to do our first page flip of the day here. We're in chapter 7 here. Deuteronomy has all the laws and rules that you're supposed to follow. One of the things in chapter 7, verse 3, you can underline if you want, it says, Do not intermarry with them. 
Don't give your daughter to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away in following to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against and will quickly destroy you. You know, and we, we look at that verse today, it looks like a race thing, you know, don't intermarry with foreigners, but it's not as much as a race thing when this was written. The context is, if you intermarry with a foreigner, they have different beliefs than you. They don't live the same lifestyle you do. Their routines look a whole lot different than yours. And if you intermarry with them, you're going to sacrifice the things that you think are valuable. You might sacrifice your faith for theirs. And that's not supposed to happen. It's supposed to be hold on to your faith here. So he took Pharaoh's wife. He did intermarry with him. He broke that law. But not only that, he broke another one here in chapter 17, verse 16 here. If you want to flip again, it says, The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. You're not to go back that way again. Hear those words. If you remember, just recently in, uh, in Exodus, is not that long ago, Moses just freed the Israelites out of Egypt. God's people were the slave labor force. They were held in captivity. Moses liberated them from Egypt with God's help. God had brought them out of that place and he says, do not go back that way again. You know, and that's almost a lesson for us in itself, you know. We are not called to live in the past. Yesterday's burdens, yesterday's hardship, the places that we go back to all over the time. You know, places that inflicted pain on us. When we revisit them over and over again, we're not actively moving closer towards God's calling that he has in front of us. God, in that same way, is telling Solomon You're not supposed to go back that way again. Your purpose, your calling is in front of you. I'm leading you to a place. There's no reason to turn around and go back there. We have no reason to go back to our past and and get burdened by yesterday's hardships in that same way we have a calling in front of us. God is taking us to a certain place. (laughs) Okay, but and this, this is what I find humorous here. This part here, it's the very next verse, verse 17 in Deuteronomy. It says he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Well, if you guys know Solomon at all, you know that's one of the things that he struggled with the most. He struggled with marrying foreign women. That's one of the things that he loved to do. He had so many wives. And and already in this very first verse in chapter 3, Solomon has broken two commands, two Deuteronomic laws, and we start to see the foreshadowing of his demise. We start to see what happens later. You know that that ends up being his downfall, the foreign women. So that's also a a certain message you can probably put in the back of your mind there, is that Solomon had these warning signs early on, right in the beginning of his ministry. Things that were tripping him up, things that he wasn't supposed to do, but he allowed it to happen. And that ended up tripping up, tripping him up so much later down the road. In that same way, guys, we have things in our life, in our daily routines, things that we shouldn't say, things that we shouldn't do, our bad habits that we allow to stay there because it's not that big of a deal. But if we don't address them, we don't try to change them, we don't put effort into living a more Christ-like life, then maybe the same thing might happen to us later down the road. Those things might trip us up down the road as well. Anyways, here, (laughs) I'm moving on. I'm back in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 2. So he had just taken Pharaoh's wife or Pharaoh's daughter as his wife. The people, however, were still sacrificing in the high places because the temple had not been built for the name of the Lord. Okay, if you read through this, it doesn't sound like a a whole lot, but there's a whole lot to it. 
so the people were sacrificing at high places. And, and back in those times, high places were what they literally sound like. You know, they were temples built on high places. These pagans who liked to worship other gods, other deities, built these open-air temples. So these magnificent architectures, buildings there with no ceilings, uh, so they could worship their gods. They thought if they were higher off the ground, the higher they went, the closer that they were to God. So they would worship in these high places. That's breaking another rule right there because we are not called to worship in a pagan temple. Solomon was not supposed to be at this place. You can tell that his wife, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, had already uh, influenced him enough where he was at the wrong place doing the wrong things. He was making sacrifices to other gods at the high places. All right, so this is what I think is so much more interesting is that God comes to Solomon in a place where he's not supposed to see that God. He went for another God. He went for his wife's God, but the God that he encountered was our Lord. That shows you no matter how many wrong turns we make, how many places we find ourselves in that we're not supposed to be, that God is still bigger, he's more powerful, and he's going to present himself in a way where he will pick us up and put us back on the right track because he's that good. He loves you that much. So verse 3, it says, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to his instructions given to him his father David. I have that highlighted there. He loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. That transformed his life. He did everything he was supposed to do because he saw his, his dad, David, live a Christian life and be used by God in incredible ways again. But here's the second part of that verse. Except, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on those high places, those pagan worship places, those pagan temples. He loved the Lord, except he would often offer sacrifices in pagan places, in high places. If that doesn't hit home with you, I don't know what will. Sometimes we have an accept in our life. We love the Lord. We love him so much. We know he's real. He's active. He's present in our life, except we... We do something we shouldn't. And that's exactly what Solomon's doing. So he's a lot more relatable to us than we thought. If You, you might have thought of him as the wisest king who ever lived because he is. So he's not very applicable to us. He's in a different realm than we are. No. Solomon's just a regular guy doing the best that he can. He's a young, young man and he made mistakes. But God is bigger than our mistakes. So verse 4, it says, He went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And this is what the Lord says. This is how big that our God is. He says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. I have that highlighted right there. That's the only time in the Bible we see an encounterment like that. This never happens again. And frankly, I'm a little jealous that Solomon got this offer because I, I imagine genie on Aladdin. You, you rub the lamp and out comes a genie. And you know the, the thing that he says, you know, you are given three wishes. Ask for whatever you want. Well, the first thing I would ask for, you know, is, is more wishes. <laughs> But but we get to see Solomon's heart here. He's in the wrong place. He's doing wrong things. He married the wrong woman. But yet God still shows him this incredible act of goodness. He still blesses him. And that doesn't say a whole lot to Solomon, but it says a whole lot to the God that we still serve today, that he still blesses us even when we don't deserve it. So we're going to take a little bit of a break right there. 
I'm going to play a little bit of music to unwind, uh, get your, your your mind relaxed a little bit. We are 15 minutes in, and then we're going to keep pressing forward. So hope you guys have enough stuff right here. Take a little bit of a break, and I'll come right on back. This world can be cold and bitter. Feels like we're in the dead of winter, waiting on something better. But am I really gonna hide forever, over and over again? I hear your voice in my head. Let your light shine, let your light shine for all to see. And start a fire in my soul, fan the flame and make it grow. So there's no doubt or denying. Let it burn so brightly that everyone. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that short break. You're able to, to take your mind off of things for a little bit, get refreshed, re-energized. Something I love about going through scripture in depth is that it brings out so much more context. It turns on more light bulbs for us. And when it does that, when we study God's word, he speaks to us in different ways. And we're able to look at this whole passage that we've known for the all of our lives and see it in a different light. And it, it brings that much more power to it. So anyways, I don't know. I think that's incredible. So I don't. I woke up this morning and when I rolled out of bed, I didn't have a voice at all. I apologize. Sounds like I have puberty today. I'm in the middle of puberty, but uh, we're going to power through and do the best that we can here. 
So we left off here in verse 5, and God had just come to Solomon in a dream, and he'd asked him the question that we all know about. Solomon, you can have whatever you want. Anything under the sun, ask for it and it's yours. Something about this dream that's incredibly rare as well is that this is a two-way conversation. We don't see that happen a whole lot of other places in the Bible. We see angels come to figures all over the place. You know, God comes to Mary and the wise men and Joseph and they give us a message and they give them instruction on what's going to happen. You know, prophecies, they, they speak to prophets and give them prophecies on what's going to happen in the future. But this is a two-way conversation where Solomon actually responds to God and they converse with one another. And that's a rare instance here in the Bible. So Solomon here, he, he's just been asked this question, and we get to see who Solomon, Solomon is at the very center of his core. You know, because there's a, so many things under the sun that Solomon could have asked for that would have been wrong. Things that would have set him up here on earth for success, but they would have been things that God probably wouldn't have granted. He could have asked for eternal wealth. You know, God make me so rich that no one in my family ever has to worry about money ever again. Set us up for eternity. You know, he could ask for the uh, the demise of his enemies because we've seen he's had problems with that before where he just says, God, all these people have been a pain in my th side there, Lord. We, we ask that uh, you get rid of them for me. You know, make my life a lot easier. He could have said the one, you know, God, give me eternal life. That way I never have to die. I can live here and see this kingdom go on forever and ever and ever. You know, all these things that he could have asked for power and fame and success. He doesn't ask for any of those. But instead, we get to see who Solomon is and why he is the right guy to, to lead God's people. Because he does want to lead off where David had left off. He wants to follow in his father's footsteps and be used in incredible ways here. So here is his response. In verse 6, we get to see an opening to his answer. It says, Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on the throne this very day. So he opens up in his response. He's been presented that question. He says, God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all that you've done for my father. Because I've seen it. I've seen you use him in ways he probably shouldn't have been used. He's overcome obstacles in front of him that he probably shouldn't have been over. But because you are in his corner fighting for him, using him as a tool for your ministry, God, you have brought him to places that have led me to where I'm at today. He says, God, thank you for that. But he says, you have continued your promise that you have given to him. When he says you have given him a great loving kindness in verse 6 there, he's, he's referring back to the promise that God made to David that your descendants, that your lineage is going to lead this world, is going to bring God's people to so many good things. We are going to be used in your ministry and do incredible things together. And by me being on the throne today, Lord, you have kept your promise. You have kept your promise. We have a God who keeps his promise. And guys, if you want to see about God's promises and what he has for you, because he has given us so many promises, they are in the Bible. This chapter here, 1 Kings chapter 3, is also an illustration that we have a God who loves you so much that he will keep his promises no matter what. So Solomon says, thank you for everything you've done for my dad and thank you for keeping your promise, Lord. But here in verse 7, we get to see who Solomon is at his core. He says, now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But I am only a little child and I don't know how to carry out my duties. So you have put me in charge of this whole 
leadership here, Lord. This whole kingdom of God's people, the Israelites. But I'm only a little child. If you remember, Solomon wasn't a little child at this point. When he says, God, I'm a little child, he doesn't mean it literally in age and years. He's not a little boy. If you remember, he's around 18 to 24. He's somewhere in that area. And at 18, you're considered a young man, a very young man. So he's not an actual little child. What does he mean by that then? We see another man in the Bible say, I am a little child as well. Jeremiah, after he's taking over role as leadership for the Israelites from Moses, the same situation where he's taking over in leadership, there's a transition in power. He also says, Lord, I'm a little child. He doesn't mean that I'm a little boy, but instead he means that I have no experience. God, I'm in way over my head. I don't know what I'm doing and I need your help. God, I'm a little child and I don't know how to carry out my duties. Guys, Solomon went to God with a humble heart. He didn't pretend that he had all the right answers. He didn't pretend that he had these big elaborate plans that he was going to lead God's people to places by his own power. But he says, God, I don't know what I'm doing. He comes in complete honesty here. He comes with complete transparency in his heart that I don't know what I'm doing, God, but you do. But you do. God, I need help, is what he says here in verse 7. I'm a little child and I can't carry out my duties. Here in verse 8, it says, Your servant is here among the people that you have chosen, God's people, the Israelites, a great people, too numerous to count. So that's another little tidbit. Solomon didn't just take over some little dinky kingdom there. He didn't just take over like a tiny little town. He took over a massive kingdom. David had expanded it not only in area, but he expanded in population as well. The the Israelites at the census, if you look back, the Israelites had 800,000 fighting abled men. 800,000 fighting abled men at the census. And if you look at Judah, they had 500 fighting abled men. So they're they're over 18, you know, they're able to to fight in the army there. And if you take those number and you add an account for their wives and their children, there's about 4 million people in this kingdom that Solomon's taking over as a young, young man. 4 million people that he's got to govern and decide where to go and what's best for them and how to lead them. So he's coming into a massive role as a king. Can you imagine the pressure that he's under, the stress that he's under right now? And he comes with complete transparency and says, Lord, I, I don't know how to do this role. Your people, your great people, you've given me this role over to lead them. Here in verse 9, highlight it if you can. Underline it if you can. However, you got to memorize it. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. I'm going to read that one more time. I want that to sink in. It's something Solomon said way back when, but it's a prayer that we should ask for all the time. This is something that we should be yearning for all the time. He says, give me a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between what's right and wrong. Solomon asked for wisdom. He doesn't ask for any material thing to to set him up in advance. He doesn't ask for anything to, to get him set up for life. But instead he says, God, I want to be the best leader that I can. I want to be the best king that I can. I want you to use me in ways that your father, my father has been used, Lord. The way that you use my dad, David. God, help me make good decisions. Help me be wise. Because making these decisions aren't going to be easy. You know, wisdom is different than being smart, wise, or smart, or intelligent, or or academically gifted. 
when we think of wisdom, we might think of that, you know, he doesn't ask for knowledge. He doesn't ask to be academically strong. He asks for wisdom. There's a difference. You can be smart and, and academically gifted, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're wise. Being wise is using the knowledge that you have and applying it in a way where you can make good, sound decisions. You have good judgment because of that wisdom. You're good at applying the wisdom and knowledge that you have. So he says, God, give me wisdom. You know, as a king, as a leader back then, he's not just sitting at a throne with a scepter and, and he's not just writing laws and decrees. And he's not just in charge of the army, you know, or the economy, but he's also making incredibly hard decisions. Kings were judges back then. They had to navigate through gray areas where answers weren't clear cut. There wasn't a clear right or a clear wrong. And he had to make the hard choices as a leader of this massive, massive kingdom. So when he asks for wisdom, he's asking that he can navigate through the gray. And I've got a, I've got a silly analogy here for it. And uh, hang there, hang in there with me for a little bit. Uh, you guys know, uh, in all those TV shows where there's a couple, a married couple who's getting ready for a date and the husband's dressed, he's sitting in the living room waiting for his wife to get ready. And, and she comes out and she asks that question that you've probably heard a million times and laugh at. She says, honey, does this dress make me look fat? You know, he can be truthful in that situation no matter what. If he's thinking yes, he can be truthful and honest and smart about it and say, yes, honey, it does. But is that wise? Is that good? Is that going to benefit his relationship? Is that going to help deepen that marriage that they have together? Probably not. Probably not. So, so you can be honest and you can be wise in that situation. There's a difference between a clear-cut yes and a clear-cut no. A clear-cut right and a clear-cut wrong answer. Uh, but let's make it a little bit more difficult here. Let's say, let's say they run into problems in their relationship and one of them becomes unfaithful. One of them wanders off and cheats on their spouse. And now they come back together and they have to make this decision if they're going to stay together or not. And these are real questions. These are heavy questions. I sort of, <laughs> that really brings some heaviness to the atmosphere with that. But, but that's a gray area. It's not easy. It's hard to navigate through, and it's hard to make decisions. We as Christians still today, we have so much gray area in our lives that we have to navigate through on a daily basis where there is not a clear-cut right and a clear-cut wrong answer. So what Solomon does as a king, he says, God, I don't know what to do, but you do. And I ask that you can help me navigate through this gray area in life. I hope that's a prayer that you're saying often as well. And if, if you're not, maybe this is a good reminder, maybe you needed this today, that we have a God who is more than willing to help you get through those gray questions, those gray areas in life. Because we have a lot of places that are difficult. So anyways, he goes on in this verse. I know I'm rambling a lot. He says, for the Lord is able to govern. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Verse 10 in your Bibles says, the Lord was pleased with Solomon that he asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for a long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you asked. Solomon, you asked for the right answer here. You asked for something that is far more than yourself, and I am pleased with it. That's what God says here. And I, you can highlight this whole answer here, this whole response, because it's wonderful. I'm going to continue on. It says, I will give you a wise and discerning heart. So that there will never have been anyone like you. 
Not only am I going to make you wise, Solomon, but I'm going to make you wiser than your father David. I'm going to make you wiser than any king who's ever ruled before. And he goes on to say this, nor will there ever be. Solomon, I'm going to make you the wisest king to ever rule. You will be the wisest person here on earth. God doesn't just bless Solomon. He blesses him immensely. He exceeds his question. He exceeds his response. He says, God, he says, Solomon, I am going to give you more than what you asked for. You asked for wisdom. I'm going to give you the most wisdom anyone's ever seen before. If that doesn't get you excited about your prayers to the Lord, then I don't know what will. We have a God who doesn't just get us by. He doesn't just help us go day to day. He gives us more than what we need so that way we can thrive. He gives us enough for succeed. He sets us up so that way we don't have to worry anymore. And when he blesses us with all these things, these opportunities, these blessings, we have enough to share with other people. We have enough to radiate his light through us. That way not only are we fulfilled, but we are filling up other people with his presence. That's the God that we have. He exceeds our expectations. So whatever you're praying for, I hope you aim higher. Because we don't have a God that has limitations. We have a God that loves to hear our prayers and he loves to exceed our requests. And we see that here with Solomon. It goes on here in verse 13. It says, Moreover, I'll give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. I'm going to set you up with everything you asked for, Solomon, but I'm going to get you, give you what you didn't. Solomon, I'm giving you everything. That's the God that we have that hears our prayers. He responds to our prayers. And I'm going to flip back to the book of James here. I'm going to do a little bit more flipping. And I know I'm running real long today. I appreciate you guys for hanging in with me. I'm in the book of James here. And I'm in chapter 4. And James is talking about prayer right now. And this is a verse that is often used and abused here. Because when we like to, to read it in the first half, we don't like to read the second part to it. It sounds real nice. It says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Maybe you've heard that before too. You do not have because you do not ask. You know, if we ask, God will give it to us. How much of the stuff in life right now that we're going through that we desperately need, how many times have we actively asked God for it? Have we even turned to our Lord in prayer in our time of need or we tried to do it ourselves? Maybe that's a scripture for you as well. Turn to God with all your requests, with all your petitions. Give him the desires of your heart and see what he does with that. You do not have because you don't even ask. You know, that doesn't mean he's going to give us everything we need because it goes on further. It says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Guys, we might ask things that get us far ahead in life. We might, give, we, we might have wants that we think that are going to be beneficial for us. But are they going to be good for us in the long run? We have wants, but are they actual needs? If you think about what's been stressing you out, if I only had this, that would get me by, that would bring me happiness, that would give me peace and joy. Does it actually give you what you need in your deepest part of your heart? Here in this scripture passage, God didn't just give Solomon what he wanted because he also did it, but he also gave him what he needed the most, wisdom to discern between the gray areas here. We have a God who gives us what we need. All right, so I'm going to continue on here. I'm back in 1 Kings here. That's a little bit about prayer. Ask God, give it to God, and see what he does with it. He's going to use things for your benefit. He's going to put you in places to set you up for success. So we are in verse 14. I'm wrapping it up. Two more verses. Hang in there with me. 
These are his instructions after he has given Solomon wisdom beyond belief. He says, And if you walk in obedience with me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Solomon, you're going to come in so many hard places. You're going to be tempted with things beyond belief. But if you stay faithful to me, if you keep your trust in me and your hope that I am right there with you, and you build your entire kingdom on the rock that is me, Lord, your Lord, I'm going to take you places beyond belief. I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized that it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. I think verse 15 is fascinating because he woke up. He realized that he's in the high place. If you remember, we talked about those high places being pagan, pagan worships. He wakes up realizing who just came to him, where he's at. And I'd be embarrassed because God just blessed him. Uh, and gave him the biggest blessing of all time. And, and he's not even where he's supposed to be. So immediately he returns to Jerusalem. He goes to the Ark of the Covenant and he sacrifices there. He gives God his offerings where he's supposed to be. He walks back on the straight and narrow. So Solomon, I guess in a nutshell here in chapter 3, uh, hopefully you guys have learned a little bit about who he was. Hopefully you've learned a little bit about who you are. You know, because all this stuff is applicable. There's so much stuff for us here in Scripture and we're going to continue moving forward in church on Solomon a little bit. So hopefully we can continue to do this. Uh, I'm not going to continue to ramble on too much. Hopefully you guys have a good rest of your week. I look forward to talking to you again. And uh, God bless you. So go in peace. This was First Kings chapter 3. But before you go, one last thing though. One last thing. Hopefully I caught you real quick. Uh, if you could go to New Hope and Retreat United Methodist Church on the Facebook page there, find where this is posted, uh, this recording here, and comment on that post the word, Amen. Amen. That'll let me know that you made it all the way through this study. That'll let me know that you sat through all of these scriptures and that I'm not just talking to myself because this is a brand new thing that I'm trying and uh, it would help to know that if there's someone that made it through there with me. So go and type amen. So I apologize for uh, keeping you here this long, but hopefully you guys have a good rest of your week. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Something better But am I really